Welcome to Bookmarked, a podcast about the books worth pausing over. I'm Anna. And I'm Kaylee. We're two middle school English teachers who started having conversations of books, faith, and friendship on the front porch of our favorite coffee shop, shout out to Common Grounds, in Waco, Texas, our freshman year of college. And we've just kept having those conversations, even though we live 2,286 miles apart and can only get coffee together virtually. So get your favorite coffee, hot or cold, and join us for our latest bookish conversation. Today, we'll be chatting about books that help us to travel. Um, And so how this conversation came up was actually, um, there are a couple of different reasons, but one of the things that we want to get started with our podcast today is a poem by the lovely Emily Dickinson. Um, I had assigned this poem for my students to read and reflect on and analyze um, during the long and difficult um, trial of teaching during COVID-19. Um, and so just wanting them to think about how books and reading help us to travel and help us to um, maybe take our minds off of our current situation. And so I'm going to read that poem and then we'll get started with our first question. Mm-hmm. So this poem, um, even though normally untitled Emily Dickinson poems, is titled with her first line, There is no forgate like a book. There is no forgate like a book to take us to lands away, nor any coursers like a page of prancing poetry. This traverse may the poorest take without oppressive toll. How frugal is the chariot that bears the human soul. Mm. Emily. So, yeah, yep. she's saying basically that books can take us anywhere and it's free. Okay. <laughs> um, but anybody can take it. And so my, my students enjoyed reading that and I think took took some things from it. Obviously, they weren't <laughs> the most engaged they've ever been being far away from school, but um, it was still a really good experience. And I, I love Emily Dickinson's poetry. Mm-hmm. Me too. And you read it beautifully, Anna. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, so we get to take some some free trips these days um, through our own books since traveling is a little bit prohibitive right now and maybe for the, for the near future. So uh, we wanted to start out with with just kind of naming the things that make a book a good frigate, if you will, to use um, Emily's language. So what about a book um, really takes us into another world or or takes us even to a real place, um, whether that's in America or um, shout out Cuba to one of the books that Anna will be talking about um, or England, so many, so many amazing places to travel to. So um the first thing that came to mind for both of us um, was just the way that authors describe nature um, in their writing. So Anna, do you want to talk about um, your your first pick here of a book that really helps us travel and maybe tell us yeah. a story about the real life traveling that was supposed to be inspired by this book? Yes. Um, so earlier, I think it was, in, it was in 2019 around Thanksgiving, I'd read this book that I picked up um, for free, I believe, in one of the like free libraries, and it's called Next Year in Havana um, by Chanel Clayton. And um, these are like on Reese's book club, and she has a second one and maybe a third one coming out. But basically, it's a novel, kind of a easy, fun, engaging read. Um, but really, some of the heaviest parts of it are about the politics around um, Cuba and the embargo and the people leaving Cuba and traveling to America and, and what it's like for the people home there and what it's like for the people 
um, who have left and are trying to come back. And she does that by taking a, a character, um, Marisol, and taking her back to Cuba. And so since she's in Cuba, she's describing um, the different beaches, the towns, the cars, you know, all these kind of notorious things about Cuba. Um, and so I had read this and a friend was over and I gave it to her, thought she would enjoy it. She in turn gave it to another one of our friends. Um, and in those like giving of the books, we'd all said, man, one of the places I really, really want to travel in my early 20s and the rest of my life is Cuba. Mm-hmm. And we like all said that. And then we all were like, well, why don't we just do it? <laughs> um, so we had planned um, a beautiful trip to Cuba in early May um, that did end up getting canceled due to COVID, which was very sad because um, we were all looking forward to mm-hmm. finding these places that she described Um a couple like the one place that really sticks out for me was the like there's a it's called the oh my goodness um I'm gonna probably mispronounce this but it's called the Malacón in Cuba and it's basically this just like um it's it's not like a boardwalk but there's like a seawall that you can like walk along and it's beautiful it's right on the sea there's buildings behind it I'm looking at pictures of it now in Havana um and it's just it's this very romantic spot that a lot of the the plot takes place at and and also a meaningful spot for um, this character who goes home or goes back to Cuba and and is visiting like her heritage to like connect with her ancestors there. So um, she just has some beautiful descriptions of that. And it, it made me travel in the moment and think Mm -hmm. I could go to Cuba and then it made me actually want to go to Cuba. Um, I mean, she has other beautiful descriptions this is it's not the the most um complex book <laughs> um, it's kind of a not a great not the best plot but it is just fun reading about it and like I said it makes me want to travel places so that was that was one of my picks for the nature descriptions as part of um traveling via books beautiful and I uh I just can't get enough of that a book inspired trip Gotta love it. Which, of course, leads me to think of um, the trip that we hope to someday take with our our close group of college friends to Prince Edward Island, inspired by none other than the lovely Ellen Montgomery and her uh, classic series, Anne of Green Gables. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm going to share just a little tidbit of um, Ellen Montgomery's writing, because I think she is the queen of I guess I'd call it idealistic nature description because mm. it's like she's describing fairyland and yet you can see it in your mind. It's, it's just adding that touch of rosy colored glasses, I guess, to, to very um, everyday sort of scenes. So this is a quote I found um, describing a June evening in Prince Edward Island. So she writes, one June evening when the orchards were pink blossomed again, when the frogs were singing silvery sweet in the marshes about the head of the Lake of Shining Waters, and the airway full of the savor of clover fields and balsam fir woods, Anne was sitting by her gable window. She had been studying her lessons, but it had grown too dark to see the world, and so she had fallen into wide-eyed reverie, looking out past the boughs of the Snow Queen, once more bestowed with its tufts of blossoms. Um, so you get a shout out to a few of those classic nature descriptions from um, Anne of Green Gables. The Lake of Shining Waters, the Snow Queen, which is the cherry blossom tree outside her window and in her bedroom at Anna Green or at Green Gables. Um, mm-hmm. I just ah love her writing, and Anna just got to be totally immersed in her world after um, 
accomplishing the feat of reading all how many is it seven eight books eight yeah eight yeah it's exciting um but yes this is our public uh calling out of our friend group that yes. we'll, we'll make it happen 2021 absolutely if we're allowed to travel as you said lord willing <laughs> yeah what um what other books did you you had one other book here that you yes. were going to talk about as a, a way of nature describing us absolutely yeah so the book that came to mind is um it's a classic that, well, I guess more of a modern classic written in the 1930s, um, but I had never read it until last year. And so it was kind of a fun, fun book to stumble upon, but it's called um, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And um, it's set in kind of that classic, um, more mystical, wild part of England that um, books like uh, Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights by the Bronte sisters tackle and, um and I think there's just something so interesting about that setting. Um, not that it's inviting per se, like I, I wouldn't necessarily read Rebecca and think, Ooh, I really want to go there myself. But the, the way that I guess I would, I would call it a classic atmospheric novel where the mood and tone of the book is so very much connected to the setting. And this is one of those books that centered around not only the nature setting, but also the house um, a particular house. Um, that uh, a, a lot of the suspense and um, the plot revolves around. Um, and so I think that, yeah, both this book and then um, another book by Daphne du Maurier, Jamaica Inn, um, they're really creepy, but it's mm. surprising because it's in such a tame setting. I think of England, I guess typically I think of England being like cottage gardens and tea houses and pubs and, um, yeah, just not this wild, untamable um, place, but I think Rebecca captures that really well. And um, yeah, the 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 house, which is Manderley, that's where most of the book centers around. I think there's something about um, just the whole book taking place in this one, this big um, sprawling mansion that's um, been a place of heartbreak and um, sadness and and the the protagonist who interestingly enough is not ever named um until the very end of the novel um she is trying to discover the secrets of the house the secrets of the the nature that surrounds it um and the the atmosphere yes and the storytelling of the book are just so intertwined with um the setting so that was a book that definitely came to mind as being beautifully written very poetically written and um the nature is just so vividly described, but it's 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 different than I suppose the the um, uh, last is it last night in Havana last year in Havana next, next year, year in Havana yes <laughs> next some year in Havana um, right that's that's how I'm thinking about it now some year we'll be in Havana right. um, and I think that's an interesting point that you bring up too that it didn't make you want to go there because it was creepy but the way that an author uses tone and description and figurative language is something I talk about all the time with my students mm. is their their words that they use their very specifically chosen um for every single word and it made you go there in your imagination like mm -hmm. I know that you can vividly picture this place in your mind because you've thought about these descriptions you were entangled in the book and you several of them took place there so it really just goes back to that poem like it takes us there mm -hmm. um the the true like anything can take us to lands away and that even though my students like I said I have to talk to them about this all the time like that was something that they pulled out like 
books can take us places in our imaginations, even if it doesn't inspire us to go to creepy houses in Northern (laughs) England. It just, it takes us somewhere that we haven't been and maybe intrigues us um, by the writing. So I appreciate that uh, you were able to go there in your mind and say, you know what, I'll leave that for somebody else to actually go to. I'll pass on that. (laughs) Right. And, and this kind of leads into the next um, sort of trademark we, we were discussing about what, um, what about a book helps us travel through it? And um, while Manderley is not a real house, um, it's set in a real place in England that the author Daphne du Maurier was familiar with. And mm. so I think, yeah, that's an interesting element to talk about too, is how effective it can be when an author really writes about what they know um, and describes a place that they're familiar with. I think that just adds a, another power of, of realism. I remember listening to somebody describe kind of their process of writing um, and they write fiction, but um, often are inspired by real life events. And so they were talking about, you know, the bones of your book um, should be real life, but then the flesh is your imagination. And so there is something Mm. super powerful about having that. um, Yeah. Just like life experience that fuels um, your writing. And so um, that's true for Daphne du Maurier. And then also true for these other, we have a few other books that came to mind. So Anna, do you want to talk about your picks for this? Yeah. Um, when you were talking about fiction versus nonfiction, like the two I chose both kind of go with both of those genres. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, or I guess the second one is Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead. I know I talk about him a lot. These are the only three books of his that I read. <laughs> uh, there's more to read of him, but um, I read this, this fall and Sag Harbor is an actual place, um, but it's, uh, basically the description of the book is that um, Colson White is kind of writing autobiographically about himself, but he does it, he like uses other characters. So he's like, this is a place that he and his family would visit um, in the summers. They would go live there and stuff. And so he just wrote little vignettes about his time there. Um, it's kind of how I read the book. And, and so he did know this place. He was, um, part of this area but it's kind of like a, a Martha's Vineyard uh, kind of like vacation spot for New Yorkers and so the it wasn't just the descriptions of nature like he really doesn't describe nature at all because he's describing himself as a teenage boy and a lot of teenage <laughs> boys don't think about nature in the same way um, and so he's describing his friends and the kind of um, like stuff that they would get into when they were eight and nine years old and then he was like but it transitioned when we were 18 years old we would somebody had a car and he just would describe this car and how they would get into it or the ice cream shop that he worked at and so these all were like little places that at first I really was like not sure what was going on in the plot but I could so vividly see these characters and see these teenagers living in this like kind of beach town in Long Island um, Mm -hmm. for a summer without their parents now that they're old enough and like getting into all these shenanigans and really realizing things about themselves. So that one um, was a fun book for that. Like I really had never heard of that and really understood it, but some of the reading that I've done after like what he said about the book is just been so interesting to like connect him to the main character in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other one is a nonfiction, a memoir by Sarah Broom. Um, It's called the yellow house. And she grew up in new Orleans um, in a particular neighborhood, new Orleans that 
she that was really hit hard by um, Hurricane Katrina. And so she she starts out kind of talking about this house, the yellow house is what mm-hmm. she calls it, which the house was actually never like yellow, but that's what she remembers it by. Oh, is that funny. This was the yellow house. Yeah, it was like green or something, but it was the house that her parents owned. Um, and for she's an African-American author as well. And so for to own a home is such a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And so this this home like really centers the whole thing, but she does so much writing about the city of New Orleans um, in the book, you know, it's it's a memoir about her and some, it's also about her, her really like her vision of home. Um, and so she talks a lot about the history of the buildings, of the neighborhoods in New Orleans. And so it really just, I'd been to New Orleans um, last March and had visited some of the neighborhoods that were, you know, maybe not the French Quarter, um, and <laughs> and that was inter- not not in any way that was very meaningful. Obviously, I'm still a tourist, but it was interesting to read this after and think, oh, this is maybe near this, or this is so far away from where tourists in New Orleans go that we probably wouldn't even consider it New Orleans. So that was a book that really transported me because she she had done her research obviously about the construction and the architecture and the policies behind who can buy what house and what neighborhoods go where. Um, But she also remembered people and the school that she went to and how she was able to um, move about in that neighborhood, the public transportation that she took. So that was one that really, even though she's since moved away and has not lived in new Orleans for, you know, the, the latter half of her life, she really knows that community and was able to describe it in a way that was just so meaningful. Um, and so special and, and, um, yeah, it was a really good one. So that's, that was something that I took away from the nonfiction slash fiction. That's not (laughs) fiction, uh, with the Sag Harbor book. Oh yeah. And I love how, I just think it's, it's, it's interesting to hear authors' experience of writing about their own life, but also su- supplementing that with um, with their own research on just the areas that they lived in. I'm sure that is such a cool experience to go through of kind of learning about your, um, like where you grew up, um, but in, a, in just kind of combining your own personal experience with um, like historical and other factual elements about where you live and I just love that detail of like her house wasn't actually yellow but that's how she remembers it that just makes it you can I don't know something about that is so like draws you in and makes it feel real I guess um helps with the transportation part um and yeah the book that I that came to mind um in this sort of category of authors writing what they know slash really being connected with the members of the community that they're describing um, is a book I just finished this week called um, Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. And this is, oh, wow, what a task she took on. She's telling the story of seven generations um, of these two half-sisters who are both born to um, different tribes in Ghana in the um, late 18th century. And one of the sisters is um, transported on a slave trip to or a slave um, boat to America. And so her family you know, from then on out, um, lives in, in the United States in different places, but in that general area. And then um, the other sister um, marries a slave trader slash she becomes the governor of this Cape, Cape Town um, on the Gold Coast in Ghana. And her family grows up, um, or the following stories take place in Ghana. 
And what's cool is the author, Ya Jesse, is um, was followed a similar experience to her characters in that she was born in Ghana and then moved to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is where one of her characters um, throughout the story lives. And so you can you can just tell the just the real connection she has um, to both these worlds of these Africans growing up and becoming African-American and then these um, then the other side of the family that um, is, is much more rooted in their in their culture in Ghana and um, still had a very difficult life, but um, in yeah, just in a different different way. And so mm-hmm. what was interesting about this storytelling was, um, yeah, it's not necessarily, I guess the, the African side of the family, um, they, they do stay and um, they, they move around a little bit, but it's not centered on one tribal town per se, or on the American side, it's not centered on one state. There is a lot of travel, I guess, that occurs um, through the characters' lives. Um, but there's so much um, detail that this author is able to convey, even in, I mean, it's not that long of a book. And obviously she's telling the story of so many different characters, but it was really masterful the way she was able to to incorporate details that um, just show a knowingness of um, these these historical details, like that obviously she's done through research and then her own personal experience. Um, and it was, yeah, a, um, a book that, I think for me, you know, this is part of my self-education, I suppose, um, inspired by recent events. And uh, to, for me, it was really powerful to see this narrative um, told through, you know, starting at the end of the 18th century, all the way up into modern times, told through people's stories. And obviously they're fictional characters, but um, had a lot of um, reality to them. And the, the author just did a great job. Um, again, it, it really does come down to those details and those descriptive passages, I think, a lot of times that that help us travel through these characters. And this was, yeah, this was a wild, wild, difficult, um, bumpy ride, but but definitely one worth going on in a book I would I would really highly recommend. Um, and yeah, a, 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 a trip that was difficult to take, but um, one that was, was definitely worth going on. Yeah, um, I think that's so interesting too. Like you said, like it's kind of um, mirroring the Sarah Broom, like, she's not yeah. from there but she she is from there and and how much heritage like really plays into your ability to to tell a story and maybe like mm-hmm. I think in several times in the yellow house and probably in in the book that you read like she kind of referenced like how uncomfortable she was telling the story because maybe she didn't feel like she deserved to tell a story and maybe that's mm-hmm. just um a woman thing as well but uh just how interesting it is to to tell someone else's story and to try to do it well um, in a way that really like honors your heritage. Um, so um, I saw that you had uh, wanted to read one of her other books on Goodreads. So I had to check her out as well. Yes. Yes. And I think she's, I don't actually know how old she is, but I think she's pretty young. So I hope that, yeah, there are more books <laughs> that we get to read from her. From her yes. pen. <laughs> you kind of um, transitioned into our next question slash um movement in the podcast which is just to talk about um the current reading situation in america um and so we uh the question generally is that do we use books to escape or dig deeper into our real lives or do we do both and kind of a sub question to that that we'll really get into is are there times of the day seasons of life when we need to make ourselves stay rooted in real life um, in other words, should we be reading books on anti-racism right now? Or is it okay to read fun and fiction books? Um, and so that's something I'm sure 
some people who are listening are thinking about. It's definitely something I'm thinking about as I choose my next reads. Um, but Kaylee, and you know, there's obviously a lot of nuance to this question, but what do you think? Are we, what's our responsibility as, as readers? Yeah, I think it, it's been interesting to see people kind of struggle with this or tackle this on at least posting about it on, on their social media. And I, I'm seeing and I'm and feeling this sense um, that a lot of folks are feeling of conviction of wanting to do um, do their part in self-educating them or educating themselves. That's repetitive. Um, and one of those ways is, is an easy way to start is through, through reading. Um, and I think the challenge that comes is um, the types of books that are needed for this education on racism and injustice um, in America are, are difficult books. They're ones that take, um, they take a lot of um, mental capacity to engage with and to, and to really feel um, on a deep level, to have empathy with the characters. Or if you're reading nonfiction, um, I think you can have empathy that, that is inspired by that. And that's the point of those books is to engage um, and in the sorrows and the impression and the wrong that has um, that has been afflicted, afflicting our black brothers and sisters in America for a, a long time. So I think this is one, of, I, I guess what sprung to my mind was sort of how I feel about reading scripture is that um, there are seasons where um, reading scripture for comfort is kind of my primary mode um, of reading. I'll go to the Psalms or something that's um, just reminding me of of God's protection or his these these qualities that I find comforting. And then there are other times where, and these aren't ever necessarily times where I'm like, oh, I'm going to read this book because I'm going to read the Bible because I really want to be convicted right now. But I think um, I, I know that uh, that is fruit of of engaging with God's word is being convicted and in growth and sanctification. And so um, that just kind of comes through a steady, continual routine diet of, um, of reading scripture, not even necessarily seeking out the conviction, but just making that a part of your, your everyday, everyday routine. Um, so I guess going back to the question, I, I do think there are times where it is important to stay rooted in real life and to not um, try to escape. I think it's, it's tricky whenever, um, you see reading especially as um, a form of comfort and of pleasure. And of course, I think there's always a place for that. Um, but I guess my, what I'm doing at least is, um, and this kind of goes back to the way I, I typically read anyway, I do tend to have multiple books going on at the same time. But um, I think that, you know, usually morning reading is going to be something a little bit, maybe reading scripture or reading um, something that, uh, is I would call more comfort reading, or I suppose just something to kind of settle and ground myself. And then, um, and then more when my mind's a little bit sharper, that's bad. I'm saying I'm reading scripture when my mind's not sharp, but forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, in this season, I'm, I'm trying to have um, either a non nonfiction or fiction book um, written by a, a person of color that, that I can be reading and, and choosing that at a time where, I can both engage with it and um, think think deeply about it, but maybe not have it as like my uh, read right before I go to bed or right in the morning when my brain is not very fresh. And um, yeah, you're just, I think you're just in a, a little bit more vulnerable uh, spirit at those times. Um, so, so afternoon-ish, middle of the day is kind of my spot for like educational reading. 
Um, and then, and then evening is more of like fun, relaxing reading for me. So I don't know if that's perfect. And I know there, yeah, there's so much nuance that should, should, and needs to go into this conversation. So I don't, do you have anything to add to that, Anna? Yeah, I know. I think when you were talking through that, um, it really kind of convicted me that I should change my reading habits to have more than one book at one time. Oh. Maybe that would be helpful for me, but I, uh, I don't want to um, in some ways. I want to just keep reading my one book um, yeah. because I can get really fixated and stuck on, you know, that one thing that I'm reading and get really into it and want to finish it. Mm. So, but it, it does make a good argument that like in order to really like keep our, like, you know, reading is, it can be a sprint. It can be that one book that we binge a day. Um, but it can also just, it's a lifetime thing. You know, if we want to be excellent readers, if we want to be lifetime readers, like <laughs> our parents, like, you know, older people that we know, I don't think we can, it, it seems unwise to just, you know, read every book that's on the anti-racist list. And then, and in some ways feel like we're done after that, you know, right. feel like, okay, check that off. I have done my educational reading. I am therefore an anti-racist. I'm therefore an educated person. I've read about all these nonfiction mm -hmm. things. Um, so I think the adding in that fiction, adding in that fun just adds longevity to our like reading lives. It yeah. helps us to not burn out as much. Um, and I think, you know, it really is about like where, and this is kind of conflating, um, reading non-sacred books to um, <laughs> spirituality but I think that God works in those ways I think that you know he can convict us this is the time that you need to like really sit down and listen and read um, and so just like kind of listening to that spirit say like oh this, and not like ignoring it so when yeah. it's time to you know maybe it's not the time to read um, all of these really heavy books at one time maybe if I you know it's just I don't know it's just being discerning I think totally. um, and I, I do think that it's important to engage with those books um, more regularly than we have been doing um, mm -hmm. but I think you know also some of the things that I've been seeing since I joined the Twitter world again <laughs> is that there are a lot of and and no because of some of the experiences that I've had teaching in my schools that not all stories about black people, about um, people of color are, they don't have to be sad. <laughs> they don't have to be about police violence. They don't have to be about um, immigration reform or about um, prison reform or about housing inequities. Like there are real, they're real people and they have real problems and they have, you know, like some of these kind of um, like, easy books quote unquote that we read about characters who are just going through a romance trouble or <laughs> are having like you know qualms about their friendships like you know it's just there are also those stories about black people that I think don't have to be heavy you know they can we can really engage with yeah there are people in the world that um that have stories that are not just sad stories obviously their stories are coming from a place of this is what it's like to be black in America. Um, and they, and we come from a place of privilege of reading them. Um, but I think, yeah, that not all reading about people of color and educating ourselves has to be 
heavy and hard and difficult. It can be fun. <laughs> there are a lot of great stories out there and great authors who are offering that kind of thing now. So I think that's I think- a good point, Anna, because, you know, I think we want to want to understand the full uh, scope of the human experience. I mean, to whatever extent we can understand um, being white, but I think that's a, a beautiful a beautiful aspect of this is, yeah, it doesn't, it's not all, um, joyless. And, and I guess going back to what you were saying, Anna, about like your tendency being to read one book, you know, be the, the monogamous book reader. Um, <laughs> I think that is totally okay. And I think it's, it's kind of going back to that discernment and that sort of like, what's going to help us, um, you know, keep, keep reading the books that will enrich us and um, help us grow in the long term. And if, and if piling like three books on your book plate is going to really overwhelm you and, and be like a, like make it make reading feel like a chore, then that's probably not the right choice for you. So I think it's kind of cool that we have, we both have sort of different avenues that we take with our reading. Um, but we can both be discerning and intentional and in all of those good things about, you know, the types of books we're trying to read. Yeah. And I just, I think, um, I, I really liked your analogy of like reading scripture, this, you know, it's saying that there are, that there are beautiful tales that, um, mm-hmm. black authors are telling right now. It's not an excuse not to do the reading. Right. It's just a way to kind of, um, enrich and like more holistically get at mm-hmm. the experience. Um, so absolutely do the reading, find the book list. We, we we're going to talk about that towards the end, but find the book list. If that's not something that you've done, I know that a lot of these um, great books are backordered right now, which yeah. is great. Um, but wait, find the ebook, read some articles. Um, that's, I think that is also maybe something we can talk about on a future podcast is yeah. what is reading um, articles yes. <laughs> have to do with our book reading. Cause sometimes um, it feels like it's just a lot of reading. Um, so yeah. Well, is it, is it matchmaking time? I think it is. Okay. I'm so excited and nervous about this one. Um, <laughs> we are matchmaking our dear friend, Haley, um, whom Kaylee is known for longer than we'd like to admit <laughs> I've known for a while as well she's um, a dear friend from Baylor um and is the best piano teacher in Houston Texas oh, yeah look her up um <laughs> we'll give her a shout but she um just as a a general overview of Haley is amazing she's a student she's a scholar like we said she's mm-hmm. a piano teacher and um is very involved in her church and her community and so just that she finds time to read at all is <laughs> quite um, the task. And she's also very, um, I wouldn't say type A, but she's an achiever. Um, yeah. So she, you know, we, we asked our other matchmakers to give us a list of three or four books and she gave us like 12 books. <laughs> so we're going to read <laughs> off those titles uh, and do our best to matchmake her with something both based on these titles and just based on who we know, the beautiful soul of Haley. So um, I'll read off those titles and then Kaylee, you can get started with your recommendations. Perfect. Um, First, Educated by Tara Westover. Yes. Second, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller. Rising Strong, Brene Brown. Quiet by Sarah Kane. Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat. Um, Wow. Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien, 
in 100 Cupboards in D. Wilson. That's a YA series that she mm-hmm. liked. Um, some books that she didn't like, and she had a little disclaimer for this, but some she has not been able to get into Flannery O'Connor's short stories, understandable, and um, she doesn't like any fluffy books on biblical womanhood. Um, and so based on those likes and dislikes, we have some recommendations for Haley. Yeah. Okay. So my first one is um, based on Haley's affection for reading a cookbook, which I just love that you you did that, Haley. Um, so my recommendation is um, a cookbook po- called Half-Baked Harvest by Tegan Girard. Um, first of all, I think you just appreciate this book because of the fantastic photography, all of her pictures. Oh, just really highlight colors and textures and it's very earthy and rich. Um, and she, she has a lovely writing style as well. Um, and I, I really enjoy following her on Instagram. Um, and then kind of coupled with that recommendation is um, a Netflix series that um, Annalise recommended to me, our guest from last week, called Cooked. Um, and that features the, uh, the chef Michael Pollan. And he is an author himself and has actually written a book um, that the Netflix series was written or based off of. Um, but there are four episodes and each episode is focused on a different element. So fire, water, air, and earth. And um, the air episode might be of particular note for you, Haley, because um, he talks about making sourdough bread, which I know has become your pastimes um, of late. So just wanted to, to shout that out because of course, you know, the four elements of cooking, salt, fat, acid, and heat, it, it definitely reminded me of... Um, Miss Nasrat's sort of take on cooking. So those are a few um, baking, cooking oriented recommendations. What do you have for Haley, Anna? Yeah, I love that, you know, just kind of the beauty of getting a cookbook is that you you don't have to read it, but she did. I know. I have that book and it's sitting in my kitchen just displaying some of the art, yeah. but it is not being read <laughs> as it should be. Um, well, the first one that I have that's based on one of her likes is um, kind of any book by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, the Outliers is one that I've read. Um, I have not read Talking to Strangers, but I just put it on hold at the library this week because it looks so good. Um, he also has a great podcast called Revisionist History, but this is based on um, your love of both Brene Brown um, and also Sarah Kane, which I love quiet as well. It's one of the greatest books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of, and I don't want to disparage this at all, but it's, you know, kind of like popular um, science, popular psychology, yes. popular um, sociology books. Um, but he has a great way of, you described when you were telling us about Brene Brown, that this was um, her process of exploring the stories that we make up about our situations. Um, and so I have not read any Brene Brown, but just thinking about the way that Malcolm Gladwell writes, he has just a way of explaining in-depth concepts about human nature, about um, the ways that we are, about the prejudices that we have that really um, is accessible to so many people. So check out The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, or if you want to do a little book club, hit me up about talking to strangers and we'll read it together. Um, So that was my first recommendation. Back to you. Yeah. So, um, man, I always get recommendations for myself from our podcast. Um, That sounds great. Uh, My next two are a combo, I suppose, of Quiet by Sarah Kane, which we already mentioned, and Blue Jazz by Donald Miller. So 
The first one um, is called A Million Little Ways and Cover the Art You Were Made to Live by Emily P. Freeman. And just a caveat here, I haven't actually read this book, but I do listen to Emily's podcast and um, just her perspective on life. It's, it's reflective, it's thoughtful, it's artistic. Um, she's very poetic in the way that she speaks. Um, very grounded in just her knowledge of people in the world. And um, she def- I don't know that she's an introvert, but she definitely strikes me as one from the way that she um, speaks about life. And so um, this book is, I think she's written three books, but this has been her um, most highly reviewed book. Um, so I, there's something about Emily P. Freeman that just reminds me of you, Haley. So I'd love to hear what you think of that. Um, and then the other one is, um, it's another book by Donald Miller called Searching for God Knows What. And um, honestly, it really reads like a sequel to Blue Like Jazz. So I think if you enjoyed that, um, this would be a really fun second read. And he just continues what he started in Blue Like Jazz. Um, each chapter tells, um, he actually goes more into his childhood in um, Searching for God Knows What. There's some really memorable stories about, well, one, I'll just give a little sneak peek. He talks about um, as a kid being in the bathroom at like a, um, a mall and seeing the mall Santa come, like, come into the bathroom and then leave without washing his hands. And this for him was this moment of like kind of entering into reality and seeing like this figure that you have so much, you know, whimsy and faith centered around being like a person who doesn't wash their hands. And so he has so many memorable um, points that he makes about um, God and Christianity in his very quirky, thoughtful, interesting way. So I think you would enjoy reading that um, based on your love for Blake Jazz. Yeah, I have not read any of those. I've been meaning to read Blue Light Jazz for forever, but yes, um, again, just getting great recommendations from our own recommendations. It's huge for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> based on uh, your love of Educated, which is an excellent book, um, I gave you another memoir to read. Um, it's a different style. It's a, it's not quite as um, exciting as Educated. <laughs> educated is so engaging. Um, but I think this really should be added to all of the lists that are going around right now. It's called The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton. Um, he was on death row for the majority of his life um, in Alabama for a crime that he did not commit. And he was represented by Brian Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy. So Brian writes the um, the foreword to this book. But it is just the most heartfelt, lovely, um, yeah, and heartbreaking book um, mm-hmm. about the realities um, of the life that prisoners leave on death row. And it's just, yeah, it, it's a tearjerker, and it's so good. Please check that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sun to Shine by Anthony Ray Hinton. And yeah, he's just an amazing man um, with a lot of forgiveness in his heart, mm-hmm. um, which is just so touching. And And it doesn't always have to be touching, but it's important to read. Um, the other one that I have that's based uh, also just transitioning, um, something that you didn't like was uh, fluffy books on biblical womanhood. I can identify with that. Um, and so... <laughs> I have not read a lot of those either, um, or I've tried to read them and put them down, but one author that I know does not treat womanhood fluffily, um, (laughs) especially biblical womanhood, is um, Rachel Held Evans. And I've only ever read um, A Year of Biblical Womanhood in which she goes through different parts of the Bible and, you know, she's she abstains from seeing her husband, she covers her hair, she bakes bread, she does all these traditional things. 
and explores um, what it means to really live like a biblical woman for a year. Um, and she's just an engaging author. Um, and that one was really good. So I would recommend if you are still looking for ways to explore what it means to be a, a woman of the Bible, um, check out Rachel Held Evans. Um, and I'm sure she has other good books, but that's mm-hmm. definitely one that I've read. Great. That sounds awesome. Um, my next recommendation, I'm trying to figure out what I tied this to. Um, honestly, Haley, I saw that you had it in your, um, want to read, but haven't read yet in your Goodreads. So just wanted to inspire you if you're feeling this one up. Um, it's Becoming by Michelle Obama. I'm sure a lot of you out there have read it, but I guess I read it along similar timing to Educated. And I just found them both to be, I mean, very different subject matter, but both telling this, both these women are telling, you know, their life story in, in a way. And um, Michelle is eloquent. She's engaging. She's informative. Um, just a really, it's, it's one of those summer reads where you feel really enriched by it, but it's, it's really enjoyable at the same time. That was another one Anna and I had fun um, discussing. Um, yeah. And a shameless plug that um, I'm featured in the Becoming film um, that was on yes! Netflix. <laughs> I thought, I don't know if I told you this, but um, my mom and I saw her in Nashville um, on her last tour stop. And some friends in Memphis have like watched the film on Netflix and there's like two separate shots of me. I haven't watched it either, but um, there's a very um, clear shot of me at her, like going to buy merch. So well, you that, read the I'm watching that and then watch the movie. Right now, <laughs> see me a couple of times. It's probably the greatest thing that'll ever happen to me. <laughs> that is incredible! Um, wow, this is the peak of my life. Um, <laughs> and moving on from that, that high point. Um, wow. my last recommendation for you um and I believe I tied this to Gilead slash um just your love of of quality literature um when it comes to writing is um The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Kazuo Ishiguro um I really need to work on my pronunciations but this book I read a couple years ago on the recommendations of another friend who loves books um and it's just, it, it's kind of hard to get into at first, but it's a lovely tale about, um, it has beautiful descriptions mm-hmm. of this, uh, this older man and he's returning to um, a place that he worked for a long time and kind of going through his memories. Um, and so it reminds me of Gilead a lot. Uh, and it, he's just a wonderful writer and I will really need to check out some of his other books, mm-hmm. but you should read The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. Wonderful. Um, and um, my final rec is, I'm just gonna, you know, not talk too long about this, but clearly I'm obsessed with Wendell Berry. And I really think that if you like Marilyn Robinson, then you will really enjoy Wendell's work. So my recommend, my final recommendation for you, again, also based off of your love for Gilead is Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry. And um, yeah, it just tells a great story of a woman on a farm. So <laughs> check out his beautiful poetic naturey nature writing um it's and and very theologically rich i suppose is the similarity there between uh robinson and barry well i guess that we made it through our recommendations we'll see (laughs) um what Haley thinks please give us your feedback Mm -hmm. um and i I guess just to wrap us up, um, tell us what you're reading, Kaylee, yeah. right now. So right now I have a ton of books on my uh, hold, like either that have just come in or 
um, are going to come in soon. But currently I'm finishing up um, Oh Pioneers by Willie Cather, recommended to me on this podcast um, and enjoying that. And um, oh, I should just really quickly mention, I also finished this week um, Gentle and Lowly. Jesus's heart for um, suffering and sinners um, by Dean something. I'll try to pull that up, but that was excellent. Really enjoyed that. And then um, I'm also, I'm in the middle of, so you want to talk about race. Uh, and again, I really don't want to bit butcher the author's name. Um, let me pull that up here. I should have had that earlier. Well, as you're talking about that, I guess, um, since you recommended the the gentle and lowly so highly, I have started reading that. Um, that's going to be my next read, and I'm with you on the having like three or four books on hold at the yes. library right now that is closed on Saturday, so I can't go pick them up. So I have to go like first thing on Monday. But um, you know, it's all about ambition, right? What if we don't read them? It's okay, <laughs> they're from the library. I can exactly. always return them and get them back. And I just finished. Um, last night a really fun whimsical novel called Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore which was just a wild mix of genres it was you know about this bookstore but it had a a secret cult and there was a a lot about computers and coding and so it was just it was wild and interesting but it was um, a fun read I would recommend it that sounds amazing and we talked about that Google is featured uh, uh another plug for you know weird things that come up in this really fun quirky sounding book I definitely think it sounds delightful um and my my, the author of so you want to talk about race again please forgive me for my mispronunciation but Ijeoma Oluo and cool fun fact about her is that she actually um is based in Seattle so which is where the area I'm living Mm. um so kind of fun to hear her perspective but I think that's all that's all yeah yeah it's all um so keep reading yes i'll be um, traveling uh, through books since you probably won't get to be traveling in many other ways uh, this summer <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> all right well it's been fun talking books with you yes. as always it's a pleasure and we i need to work on a sign off we do next time <laughs> oh, we definitely do we'll figure it out guys tune in next week to hear our cool sign off <laughs>